0: So, you've explored different fields that you explored stand up and you explored improv and sketch. How would you compare the art forms as a whole?
1: So, stand up is something that I can appreciate and love and support, and I'm a massive stand up nerd, but it's something that I have never done myself, and I don't know if I ever will, just because of the lack of confidence. In myself, comedians and neuroses what a what a unique concept, right? Uh, I think that stand up is you versus the world, whereas improv and sketch are you and your team entertaining the world as weird as that sounds. I think stand up is probably the scariest thing that you could ever do when it comes to performance or entertaining people because you are bearing your soul, as dramatic as that sounds, but it's you up there on stage. There's no protective barrier. There's, if you go to a show that a band is playing, or if you go to see your friend's band and they're horrible and no one's having a good time, you know what? People are still gonna clap after every song because it's the polite thing to do. People are going to hang around. The wall of noise is kind of drowning people out. it's not the same as someone who is up there with a microphone and are giving their opinions, their jokes, their point of view to a crowd that is probably going to, if, if you don't agree with something, that is that person's opinion. You're not putting on a show. You're not putting on a sketch. You're not improvising a scenario that an audience member is giving you. This is you, your own personal brand of comedy. And if that fails, or if that incites negative reactions, I mean, you must, you've got to have just very, very thick skin.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Marvel's World Podcast, a podcast where we speak to tantalizing and enlightening individuals who help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. Now, with this podcast as a whole, if you like it, share it with your friends and please leave a review. If you don't like it, fair enough and just be quiet. <laughs> um, today we have an awesome guest. We have Mr. Chris Moore. He is a sketch troupe, financial advisor, he is a improviser, he is a man of many talents, and he is a man that has traveled across the world. Like, you hear the Pokemon song. Travel across the world, searching far and wide for joy. Well, he has traveled far and wide and did a lot of joy in Canada and in Australia. And he is an amazing comedic writer. Hello, Chris Small.
1: Hello, Marvin. That is a hell of an introduction. I don't think I've ever been described as tantalizing and ever been linked to the Pokemon (laughs) song before. So that is a a new personal highlight. I like that.
0: (laughs) It was a good song, though, wasn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I've, that and the Pokemon rap. I was able to pretty much just recite that off any uh, any recess that I see fit when uh, people would ask, and sometimes when they wouldn't ask, but uh, a lot of Pokemon growing up.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, are you, were you part of the craze of the Pokemon guy? <laughs> 100%. Uh,
1: it wasn't until... I was a bit more gullible, though, because, you know, I, I bought the games got into the trading cards. It wasn't until about six months into collecting the cards though, that I realized that they were bootlegs from the convenience store that I was going to. You know, most Pokemon cards aren't, ma- aren't printed on cardboard. They're not purple on the back. The holographs uh, aren't supposed to like scratch off. So spent a lot of money on something that was, a bit, that was counterfeit. But you know what? Uh, I still in my heart was a Pokemon master. <laughs>
0: oh it poke yeah pokemon is a is a i mean they really advertised it well like there was used to be a bit of competition between those two this is an anime podcast but be quick i think there was a competition it could be it could, it could, be. Be. It could be but it, it's like digimon and pokemon like digimon was older but pokemon they really sort of they really spent time advertising it so that it could appeal to western audiences they prepared that song for the Western world. They, yeah, they really put a lot of work in.
1: It's true. Uh, Digimon was a bit more of a flash in the pan, but they definitely tried to appeal to a Western audience as well, because as I was reminded by a friend of mine a few weeks ago, the Digimon movie featured none other than, speaking of songs, Smash Mouth doing the theme song for it. I think All Star uh, was the the theme song for the Digimon movie, and that blew me away when I thought about that, because for like... A New York Minute, Smashmouth was probably the biggest band in the entire world from like 2000 to 2001,
0: so it was ah. a big coup. Are you, are you a bit of an anime fan? I
1: used to be. In a, back when I was growing up in high school, I used to really be into anime. I went to Anime North for three consecutive years, which was one of the biggest conventions in Canada. And uh, collected the dVDs, but like all of that stuff it was just I spent so much money on it, and I really didn 't have a lot of money that 's the thing like i was into i realized it was a very expensive hobby for you know a fifteen or sixteen year old because you know there were no streaming services back then there was the internet like you couldn 't even really not that I would do this anyway, but, you know, downloading uh, things, the, the speeds weren't as good. It was, you'd pretty much be stuck to buying the DVDs, which maybe only had three episodes on each one. And they'd cost something like 50, 60 bucks, because it was all imports.
0: Yeah, and the, the th- I, did a, I did a thing, um, an interview with someone that's a fan of kaiju.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, not So kaiju, for whatever, but that's the, uh, the big robots, essentially. Yeah, and, the big robots and, and the giant monsters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was, I mean, g- my first big pop culture craze was Power Rangers, like when I was five or six years old, uh, more from Power Rangers every single day after school. So, I mean, that has such ties into Kaiju, you know, every single week oh, yeah. the monster grows, some of the Megazords. So I-, I can buy that. I just never into the movies or gotten into that sub genre as much. I didn't enjoy Pacific okay. Rim, though.
0: Oh, yeah, it was good. And no, I, I th- yeah, I think the Power Rangers actually was as I recall, um I spoke to him and he says that it was based on uh, like they actually remixed it with an original um Kaiju series.
1: We have alienated so many people yes, in the first 5 definitely. minutes like, Look at I think these I think nerds. I think
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so and and how has that led to you becoming like a sketch and improv troupe? How has like?
1: Oh, look at that segue! I love it. (laughs) That's great. Um, you know what? I think it was just I was always someone who was into. I think Power Rangers. I think pop culture as a whole always appealed to me because performing as a whole whole has always appealed to me. Um, just big flashy. I've always been into comic books. I've always been into pop culture as a whole, and. Growing up, I was always a pretty loud kid. I always wanted to not be the center of attention because I was always about complimenting other people. I was the person in the group who always wanted to make other people feel good about themselves, I feel. So I think that just naturally progressed into performing, being the person who, if other people were shy during school presentations or things like that, I'd say, you know what, I've got this, don't worry, I'll handle it. And just really, it was just the, the thing I was good at when I was growing up. Um, it was hard for me to focus sometimes in school, and I, I got good grades, but at the same time i really didn't wasn 't able to sit still that often in class i 'd always want to be up and doing things and that, I think that just naturally led to performing in comedy
0: how did that How did you stumble across sort of sketch and improv like what was there must be a story there like you either watched the show or someone said, right, Chris." do that so i because
1: of just my love for performing or you know the the path i was on in elementary school i got into a high school for the performing arts when i was in high school so in canada that's uh, you're 14 so you do grade 9s through 12 and it was a school that had music visual arts drama and dance and they were it was still a high school you did all of your regular classes and things but it was focused solely on the arts as well so you do uh you'd have your arts class every single day Uh, and it was really intensive it had a really good reputation in canada still does shout out cardinal carter academy for the arts and during that i just met a lot of like-minded people um you know I, i was outgoing and i was couldn't sit still and I liked performing when I was in elementary school, but I was bullied a lot, too. I just really did not fit in, uh, whether it be because of the things I liked, whether it be because maybe I was a bit too rowdy. But I had, I had maybe a core group of friends that I'm still friends with to this day. But aside from that, really did felt like a bit of an outsider. So when I went into this School for the Performing Arts, it was almost like finding your tribe. I felt very accepted. I felt like these were like-minded people, specifically the things that we spoke about. The first few weeks being in the school, everyone's getting to know each other. You're 14, you're still very impressionable. You're still finding out who you are as a person, but everyone kind of shared similar interests to me. And one of those being comedy. So you ask about shows and things like that. Uh, One of the first shows that I ever watched religiously on Saturday nights uh, was Mad TV. So Mad TV was kind of my first introduction into sketch comedy. Uh, it's kind of like the lesser known out of you know your Saturday Night Lives, your Monty Pythons, uh, but Mad TV for a good a good four or five years, every single Saturday I'd stay up till 11 p.m. and I would watch it. And I didn't realize that you could make a career out of that kind of performing. I didn't realize that people did this as a job, and uh, it, it really stuck with me
0: and did you do a course or something like had like what what happened like you just you just fell into it really
1: yeah so the school for the performing arts was very they did a sketch comedy focused workshop uh in our senior year that combined with the improv games so our school was very good at had a very strong presence in the canadian improv games which are you know strict set improv-specific competitions in high schools around Canada. So you do games similar to Whose Lines It Anyway, but a bit more structured. So it was my dream to get on that team, and you had to be in grade 11 minimum, so it was only the last two years of high school. And lo and behold, I got in. And just doing that is what introduced me to improv first, and the idea of community, the idea of being supported on stage. And then that combined with the next year when we did our sketch workshop, uh, those two those two classes and extracurriculars in high school are what really paved the way.
0: And then when did you start doing like shows and like getting into, Like, when did it start becoming a regular thing for you where you got up on stage and did it and did all these yeah. videos?
1: So I'm from Toronto, Canada. Um, well, I've talked about Canada so much. So I'm from Toronto specifically, and Toronto has a very good and very strong comedy scene, particularly because of a institution uh, called Comedy Bar. Now, Comedy Bar opened in 2009, and it was a small little, just basement bar uh, on Bloor and Osington. And it was founded by an alumni of my school, uh, and it was uh, his name's Gary Rideout Jr. And he was a local Toronto comedian, did a lot of shows in a lot of just back theaters and bars and things like that. And he established this bar specifically for performers. It originally was just going to be, you know, just your standard comedy comedy bar. You have like a stand up uh, stage there. We're going to do some comedy, have have a bar. But then he realized that you need to put on a show every single night in order to be different. You have to pack every single night with, you know, three, four hours of different things and you have to experiment and you have to get people out there. So it really became an incubator for a lot of really wild and experimental acts. And what was great about it was that they offered classes, they offered tryouts, auditions for local and repertory house troops so the first time I decided I was going to kind of dip my toe into the Toronto comedy scene post high school was an open call for the house troupe of Comedy Bar and while I didn't get that uh, I didn't get the spot I met a lot of different people I was felt very supportive I got a lot of tips about my writing about my performing and from that me and my friend who I've known since high school who you know worked together before had been on the improv team before things like that he said you know why don't we just why don't we just do it ourselves why don't we just form a sketch comedy troupe we can rent out a comedy bar they're very supportive of new and upcoming acts and we did that in 2011 was our first show and we 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 never looked back it was just very very natural it was that place just allowed up-and-coming comedy performers a venue, an affordable spot, and you really couldn't fail, and and we didn't.
0: Oh, and how does how how did sort of the improv thing sort of collide? Because you do both, don't you? Improv and sketch.
1: Yeah, a sketch. A sketch is a lot more my bread and butter in terms of feeling comfortable, but improv was just. I I found we just started riffing on stage. So a lot of our stuff that we'd write as sketches, if something wasn't landing or if we felt it was, you know, a bit tired, we'd just, we'd just ad lib, we'd just improvise a bit. And sometimes those were our biggest laughs. So I was able to, you know, I, I found the beauty in that. And then through a friend of mine, she basically got me a job at second city in Toronto. So there's a second city in Chicago and then there's the second city, Toronto. So I started there as a stage manager, just someone who does the lights, does the sound for the second city shows. And through that, I was able to learn timing and I was able to learn, you know, the beats and what works not as a performer, which is quite funny but someone who's up there in the booth. So they'd say to me, okay, so we're gonna go out there. We're gonna do 10 minutes and pull the lights down. And I'd say, okay, well, when do you want me to pull the lights down? And they'd say, no, whenever you, you decide, whenever you think is natural. And that would terrify me the first few times. I'd be like, well, what happens if I, if I call the lights too early or what happens if, you know, I do something or someone's upset with me because I, I didn't pull them down on a good joke. But through that, I learned the timing of what's gonna land. And I was able to hit it every single time. And through that, and through discussing, you know, comedy and timing with improvisers, and doing a few classes that were offered to me there, I was able to really understand and appreciate the beauty of improv.
0: Yeah. Yes, and sometimes maybe maybe that's something that should be encouraged more with performers. If they want to improve their comedy or whatever, also be willing to work behind the scenes or behind the bar because then you can watch great performers and be, be a part of it. 100%
1: and Second City was really good about that. There were a lot of people who were struggling, up and coming comedians, People that I knew who moved to Toronto specifically to do Second City, and they didn't have a lot of money, and Second City had a very good policy of saying, okay, well, why don't you work at the bar? Why don't you work pro bono? And part of that is were pretty much singing for your supper. They were giving you classes, and you were working for them, and I thought that that was a really good... I mean, it was just very beneficial mutually, of course, but you really did have... A, strew, a, a slew of artists that probably would not have been able to train had it not been for, you know, the willingness to just say, okay, we'll put in the work.
0: And that's, well, that's, that's one of the things of the pandemic, isn't it? A lot of places like Second City and a, like a lot of clubs in the UK have closed down. And I think there will, there will be inevitably a few of the big ones will close down.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's all about learning improv. It's all about adaptability, and I think what's really, I wouldn't say cool, but I think what's very inspiring is that a lot of comedians in this day and age have adapted very quickly during the pandemic. There's a lot of now Zoom workshops. There's a lot of open mic comedy online. Um, you know, it's a very resourceful community. And when, <laughs> when in recent memory have we not needed laughs as much as we have in 2020?
0: That's true. And I think when things do get back to normal, a lot of comedy clubs that survive or any sort of performing art will be raking it in proper.
1: Definitely. I think people are going to... There's nothing like being in a club and just laughing with people. It's one of the reasons that sometimes the only movies I kind of attend in the theaters, not these days, are, are comedies. I love going to see a comedy in theaters because that is collective cathartic experience of sharing a laugh with strangers it's just infectious and it's one of the best feelings in the world, so I I completely agree, I think that when things get back to normal uh, whatever the new normal is but when there's an opportunity for live comedy to happen again, people are going to jump at it
0: Mm. So you've explored different fields that you explored, stand-up and you just brought improv and sketch. How would you compare the art forms as a whole?
1: So stand-up is something that I can appreciate and love and support, and I'm a massive stand-up nerd, but it's something that I have never done myself, and I don't know if I ever will. Just because of the lack of confidence. In myself, comedians and neuroses—what a what a unique concept, right? Uh, I think that stand-up is you versus the world, whereas improv and sketch are you and your team entertaining the world. As weird as that sounds, I think stand-up is probably the scariest thing that you could ever do when it comes to performance or entertaining people, because you are bearing your soul, as dramatic as that sounds, but it's you up there on stage. There's no protective barrier. There's, if you go to a show that a band is playing, or if you go to see your friend's band and they're horrible and no one's having a good time, you know what? People are still gonna clap after every song because it's the polite thing to do. People are going to hang around. The wall of noise is kind of drowning people out. it's not the same as someone who is up there with a microphone and are giving their opinions, their jokes, their point of view to a crowd that is probably going to, if, if you don't agree with something, that is that person's opinion. You're not putting on a show. You're not putting on a sketch. You're not improvising a scenario that an audience member is giving you. This is you, your own personal brand of comedy. And if that fails, or if that incites negative reactions, I mean, you must, you've got to have just very, very thick skin to deal with that. And it's something that I don't have, but I admire anyone who's ever gone up there and and done it.
0: And what about um, cabaret? Does that happen a lot in uh, Canada?
1: um, Yeah, no, I'd say that one person shows one, one, uh, one woman, one, you know one-man shows those are pretty pretty common in in toronto i'd say as well um there's a lot of people who will do solo submissions for you know the toronto sketch comedy festival uh, montreal sketch comedy festival so definitely that form of performance is very yeah very prevalent in canada i'd say as well
0: so mad stuff where they do bonkers things throw pies and
1: yeah, a lot of, lot of character stuff, a lot of prop-based stuff. Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of uh, friends who kind of do those exact shows um, and they're very, very good at them, but yeah. And, and, and I'd say that that's probably the good compromise. That would be the, the closest that I'd probably get to stand up. Something where you're still playing a character, you're still relying on you know props, costumes, things like that. And that's still a shield. You're not exposing yourself nearly as much. So I think you're putting on a character... And characters it 's not nearly as
0: vulnerable, so
1: I could see myself trying that sometime, but that vulnerability is what really scares me
0: and what about the okay and it is something because in the u k it sort of has a lot of that, but in in, in america there's not really much, that much of it, and then they and in the u k stand up comedians they're a bit against that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's really interesting because I feel that sketch comedy is very prevalent in Toronto, and it has roots there because, I mean, Second City has been around for a while. SCTV, which is, you know, it was a pioneering show. A lot of people from SCTV went on to go on to Saturday Night Live, um, do a lot of things locally um, and internationally. I think that sketch has always been something that is part of Canada. Uh, And that's also because of our British influence. I mean, we're still part of the Commonwealth and we're very Americanized, but there are things like Monty Python was on the CBC every day um, after school. So we did have that kids in the hall, massive, a sketch comedy troupe from Toronto that went on and were very influential. Ooh. I think I think America's much more stand-up focused. I mean, there's definitely a lot of sketch troops out there, in Saturday Night Live, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very interesting because I think that's also what I've found in Australia, and that's why it's been a bit intimidating to get into the comedy scene here because sketch oh. comedy and improv aren't really things. Here.
0: In Australia. Nope.
1: no like there are definitely sketch troops and improv troops but they would be the exception not the rule you know the melbourne comedy festival is one of the biggest festivals in the entire world it's got an international reputation but it is pretty much 90 percent stand-up
0: oh because i hear Hannah. how long is the melbourne comedy festival
1: it goes for about four weeks it's pretty much the entire month of april
0: oh so people get to do an hour
1: Yep. Oh, OK.
0: And what about the what about this? Isn't there like an Adelaide or Sydney fringe as well?
1: They've got fringe festivals um, there, but the Melbourne Comedy Festival is probably the biggest comedy scene or event in all of Australia.
0: Yeah, I hear that in Australia, like the capital of comedy is Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that. Definitely. We've just got the there's a weird rivalry between Sydney and Melbourne that me as an expat can't really comment too much on, but my musings and what I've seen is that Melbourne is very much, it's for artists and it's for, it's got that culture, but Sydney tries to have that, but it just doesn't succeed as much as Melbourne has it. Sydney tries, but Melbourne just comes at it naturally. And I think that Melbourne is definitely the arts capital of Australia and it's the most diverse city, I'd say, in Australia and the one that feels the one that feels most like home to me. I mean, I've lived here for four years now and I don't really get homesick as much as you would think. Naturally, you're going to, especially in these times when you want to be near your family. But because Melbourne has such a similar vibe to Toronto, it's very... Easy to forget that you're 17,000 kilometers away.
0: And by the biggest, so isn't the biggest club in Australia Sydney, the comedy store, or something like that?
1: Um, yeah, but but again, that's very much stand, stand up again, and it's kind of got that yuck yucks reputation, I'd say. Melbourne's ah. the place that you're gonna have, especially for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, because every single place turns into a club, you know, you've got a bar that's you know, 5pm, like it's never, never done a show before. Okay, well now we're putting some stools on the stage. It's very much about those found spaces um, and areas to perform. You know, you can go and find a comedy show for $5. Whereas, you know, the comedy store in Sydney, it's, you're gonna go out. But again, it's just very homogenized. It's very corporate. And I mean, God, it. it I say I'm very elitist when I say that, but it just doesn't have the heart that Melbourne does.
0: And with the melbourne and um, comedy so how it's it doesn't really support improv and like h- how how is the structure of entertainment in melbourne so like they just do it a little bit and that's it like bye bye
1: yeah i mean there are definitely clubs here that you can pay for a space and do whatever you want to do but i find that stand-up is definitely king in in melbourne um you know, you do have a couple of really famous sketch troops. Anti Donna is one. They've just released a special on Australia Netflix. Uh, they're very, very good. Um, you've got you, you've got a few different sketch troops like Boss Octopus, um, the Big Hoo Ha. So it is where you can find it, but at the same time, it's not. You don't have as many chances to perform, and it is cost. It's cost prohibitive as well because renting a venue here is quite pricey. So I find that most entertainment here when it comes to comedy is going to be your standard here are three acts and you're splitting the door at that stage. So it's easier, it's very easy I think for comics to get started here, but you do have to be of that stand up mold.
0: what was the journey into like so you yeah you speak of like the great times you had in Toronto and it was all great and what what made you decide to go down under
1: oh love tale as old as time isn't it Marvin Uh, my wife is from my wife's from New Zealand and we met in Toronto and we decided that she was having some visa issues where work wouldn't support her anymore in terms of sponsorship Uh, At that point, I'd pretty much decided I was going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. So we just decided to, uh, you know, just get that started a bit quicker, Uh, proposed. uh, But then we realized that the waiting time to get a visa for a spouse was still about 10 to 12 months, which during that time, she wouldn't be able to work. She wouldn't be able to be supported. um, So it made no sense for her to stay in Canada. So because she is from New Zealand and they enjoy reciprocal rights between Australia and Kiwis. Um, both of them can work freely in either's country, uh, they can apply for medical benefits, etc. She was able to sponsor me in Australia under a special visa. So we decided that while we were waiting for paperwork to clear in Canada, we just come here where we can both work. She'd lived and worked in Melbourne before that. She had some friends here, uh, you know, it enjoyed that reputation as the most as to at this sorry. Uh, she enjoyed that uh, that Melbourne enjoyed that reputation as the most livable city in the world for I think it was four or five years running in that that poll that they put out every year, so it just made sense for us to go there and it was originally going to be about nine or ten months, but the city 's been good to us we 've been able to build a life here, and you know while we do. Well, while I do miss home sometimes, it's really good to be close to her family because New Zealand's only a few hours away via flights. And yeah, we just really haven't looked back.
0: Oh, okay. And, okay. Tell us this. No, no, I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> but okay, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's, that is a great sort of movie thing there. What you said yeah. there.
1: Tinder. We met on Tinder. That's what you're going to ask. How did we meet? We met on Tinder. Tinder.com. This episode is sponsor, sponsored by Tinder. It works sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> this was before like you had to pay and like you, you had those super likes and you had the uh, oh well you only have twenty at this stage and what does this person think you I'm like it was just swipe left swipe right this person's cool and then you get married. That's uh, that's <laughs> not all the time, but that's that's my success story with Tinder. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: and uh, like, and how how do you find sometimes there's a culture clash sometimes. 'Cause like in with music with America and the UK, even though the languages are basically the same, the humor is slightly different and the culture is definitely a little bit different.
1: I was told before I moved here by my darling wife, Chris, you are going to have to develop a thicker skin. Because Canadians are, of course, known for, you know, apologizing all the time, self being self-deprecating, uh very honest, if not a bit simple. I think that's the weird reputation that we enjoy worldwide. Uh but which is great because everyone's just like, oh, you guys are so nice, you're so friendly, etc. Yeah. But I was told that Australians in particular are very sarcastic, very biting. Uh you know, they'll call you a dickhead if you uh, you know, if 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 you're friends with them and things like that. So uh just make sure that you toughen up and make sure that you realize that people who are being a bit sardonic, sarcastic, they probably still enjoy your company. So don't take everything super personally, which is, which is tough for me. But yeah, I find what's really funny is that I think when you move internationally and you live somewhere outside of your bubble, you never become more proud to be where you're from. And I say that because I've never identified with being Canadian as much as I have when I'm a foreigner living abroad. You are the representation of your country, which means oh shit, yeah. your, it's true. You have to hold yourself to that standard. You want Oh to shit.
0: Be, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. You want to be the person that represents your country. Well, when people think of you, they think positively of your country. And I'd like to think that I've succeeded in that sense where a lot of my friends over here, <laughs> have really, you know, they they tease me about being Canadian in a very fun way. Uh, But I think that my personality and the person that I am has instilled positive thoughts of Canada. So it's a bit of a culture clash, yes, but I think that I have a responsibility to show what my culture is all about. That that and the C word. Man, they, they they love saying the C word down here, but I, I just can't get behind it. Just it's not it's not one of those words. You guys in the UK, you also like the C words. Uh, occasionally so just not, key, as not as much. Not as much as yeah,
0: Australia. Like I'm not they use the word a good cunt, which I don't know. It just sounds a bit misogynist. <laughs> a good cunt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things see, see you, you can say it me I, I, I still have to say the c word it's it's one of those things I'm getting used to hearing it but it's one of those words that I will never be able to say which isn't a bad thing I can appreciate I can appreciate that they have taken like the worst word in the English language um and they've well controversially uh and they've <laughs> taken away some of the ammo if you're saying it affectionately i'm like well then you've taken the hatred out of the word but still it, it's just it doesn't it's it's not something i can get behind
0: it's a bit it's a bit like when um i don't know people of minority groups they call each other the racist term of that group and they try using it friendly i i, I feel a bit iffy about that and like in oh, America. Yeah, don't, don't
1: you ever say that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I won't say that.
1: <laughs> that's not your right. <laughs> no,
0: exactly. But the thing is, I've I've seen a few people in America and they're not black and they say that word as if it's a verb. And I'm like, you can't say that. No,
1: no, you can't. And
0: you shouldn't. And uh,
1: yeah, they're just cer- certain words. And, and that's one of them. So, uh, but but aside from that, that's probably the biggest culture. If that's the biggest culture clash where, you know, I, I just can't get behind saying the C word, then doing pretty well
0: how, how does the humor differ? so like when you're joking around with them how does it differ to them joking around with you
1: i think that our humor in canada is very earnest it's very making fun of ourselves there's a lot of warmth to it there's a lot of regional or locale specific humor as there is in every country I think that Australian humor is a lot more, a lot more sarcastic I'd say, Um, but it's also very clever. It's very much, there's a lot of double speak and there's a lot of dry wit that you have to kind of listen. When you're watching a show, you almost have to rewind sometimes because there's such brilliant lines that really get lost at times. I think that the humor over here is very intelligent and Canadian humor is intelligent too, but I think that it's there's a lot of yeah, a lot of doublespeak, I'd say, and a lot of and by that I mean just it, it's just layers, layers upon layers. Whereas in Canada, you know, a joke can be very broad and that is the punchline.
0: Oh. Okay, and have you have you had struggle adapting? So, do they struggle to adjust to your humor?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. And this is what, what's really sad about it is that my sense of humor will uh, still play plays out quite well because I think if something's funny, it will. It knows no border. Like funny is funny. You know what I mean. If if you're saying something, if it's a good joke, chances are someone's going to appreciate it no matter where they're from.
0: So tell me a bit about so. You, right now, you're a sort of full time sort of financer. Uh, I'm not going to ask the name of the company, but like tell us a bit about it. And like, how do you sort of how do you come across as being like a comedy writer? And how do you balance both, both of these roles?
1: It's tough. It really is. Um, finding a work life balance, especially right now during the pandemic where most people are working from home and that natural divide between this is my home time and this is my office time is very, very, you know, gray. Um, It's very easy to stay online a lot longer. It's a lot easier to log into work early and see what's happening. I think finding the balance is, has been more and more difficult for me. It's hard for me to sometimes organize the things that I wanna do to relax from work because based on how busy I am, they can seem like obligations rather than things that are making me feel good and things that are creative outlets. I think just taking a step back from everything and having some days off at times where you're just sitting on the couch, where you're just vegging out, it's good to keep busy, but it's also good to let yourself off the hook sometimes. Um, You know, I find, I've got a notepad that I keep next to me, uh, one at my bed and one when I'm working and anytime that I have an idea that I think is funny or an idea for an article or for a sketch, I'll just jot it down. And sometimes I'll come back to them and I'll be like, I have no idea what this means, particularly the ones when I wake up in the middle of the night and go, what does peach lemon cloud pilot mean? But, you know, I'll try to come back to it and I'll say, all right, well, you know, that's the makings of a sketch. But uh, yeah, in in a perfect world, I'd be able to balance them both and still have time to time for myself and for other hobbies that I have but right now it's, it's getting more and more difficult but I'm hoping that in the next year when things start getting a bit more normal that I'll be able to dedicate a bit more time to writing because that really is my passion.
0: You want to be a comedy writer for like comedians or like what, what sort of specific kind of comedy writing?
1: I'd, I'd love to do anything sketch related. I'd love, you know, the, the dream is to work for a Saturday night live type show, both as a performer. And uh. theater. I've, I've struggled with, so I was diagnosed with adult ADHD a few months ago, which was a bit of a, bit of a kind of blew me away um, that I've never really, that I've had this my whole whole life. And now this is the first time I'm being treated for it. And I'm in counseling right now. I'm on, I'm on medication and it's very interesting because I've got a counselor where you're learning about how to f- channel your thoughts and how to be present because my form of ADHD means that I'm, I've got a lot of meta thoughts. Things are bouncing around and I'm always anxious. I've got a lot of anxiety in me and my counselor said to me, well, when do you feel present or when, when are the times that like, can you think back to times that you feel that everything is focused and you feel confident. And it's always when I'm performing. And I said that to him, I said, you know, when I've been on stage, when I'm delivering lines, when I'm writing, when I'm performing something that I've written is really the times that I've felt the most confident in myself and that there's nothing else happening, which is very funny because for someone who struggles with self-confidence like I do, I don't have a problem going up there and performing it feels like it's completely separate parts of my psyche and to be able to channel that to be able to be present every day of my life when i'm performing whether it be writing that's that's the dream right there
0: yeah and what what is your process in regards to without going to too much detail, what is your general sort of process for writing scripts and sketches
1: so i usually will come up with the blow line, which is, you know, the final line of the script uh, that you end on. Uh, I'll write out a rough skeleton of the beats that you need to hit, Um, you know, where things escalate. Um, I'll start typing out the dialogue naturally, and then I'll go back and I will look over it with more of a critical eye. Um, Length is the biggest thing. When I first started writing sketches, I'd have people delivering mini monologues almost, and a sketch would go for five minutes. Um, Learning that less is more was probably one of the biggest lessons in comedy I've ever had, where a sketch can be two minutes. Uh, This person only has to say one line to be funny, so that's when I go over it. I look if I've repeated any lines, if things feel natural, uh, where I can polish it up. And then I will uh, pitch it, and I will speak to the people that I'm performing with, And then we'll do a round of notes. So I'm always open to suggestions. I'm always open to, well, you know, have you tried this? This might be better sounding this way. Uh, And then when it's on its feet and we're actually performing it, it really seems to... that's that's another chance for rewrites because sometimes someone might just ad-lib or there might be a beat that doesn't feel natural. And that's when I'll take it and I'll say, okay, well, let's try this instead. So from the very beginning concept in that book that i was talking about to the very end where you're actually on stage performing there really never is a final draft until you're actually speaking it because it's always fluid and it's always moving it's always working
0: and that's the fun of it
1: that's exactly the fun of it that's right
0: and there's one other thing i want to look at is how did you manage to get into these roles of like writing part-time? Because, I mean, you're, you're getting there with what you told me before.
1: Just being prolific and just taking chances. Just putting yourself out there. Um, if there's not an opportunity that is being advertised, make an opportunity. Send your stuff to people. that Send your stuff to websites that you like. Send your stuff to agencies. Don't be scared to take a chance. <laughs> The worst thing someone can say is no. That is that is it, and rejection sucks. But that's there. There's no and a lot of people are, are really kind, and there are times where people will say, you know, oh well, we're not looking for anything right now, or you know, th- this was good, and we'll be in touch. And then sometimes they are, but if they're not, then that's fine. Just just move on. Just be prolific and get yourself out to as many eyes as you can, any opportunity that you have doesn't matter what type of gig it is just get out there build your resume build your profile build your brand
0: yeah and what are what are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned through your life through working the performing arts
1: less is more don't be scared to say yes both in improv and in life. I mean, you have to in improv, that's that's the rule. (laughs) Just because someone's lifestyle or process is different than yours does not make it right or wrong. I think I always used to think I was a very liberal person. The more people that I meet in comedy, the more I realized that I had perceived judgments and they've just been shattered. So I think be open and do not assume that you know everything and do not assume that you know everything about everyone. Ah. And be humble. Be humble, but don't be a doormat. Take a chance, but do not burn bridges.
0: Yeah, and don't... Yeah, that's a good thing. I think a lot of the times people seem to mistake being nice for the wrong thing.
1: Yeah. But similarly, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, and it's a fine line, but the people who are able to manage it are the most successful
0: people. And coming on to that, like what do you, what, what sort of motivates you? What really sort of drives you to really make a career out of comedy writing? And sketch sketch comedy in particular?
1: I think making people happy. Um, as corny as that sounds, I love, like, like I said, laughter is infectious. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really bad crap in the world. And I think that if I'm able to write something or perform something, or do something that makes someone laugh, that gets a genuine emotion and genuine positivity out of someone, well then that is something that I wanna dedicate my life to. So that's, that's something that I wanna chase. Like I said, I'm not someone, I'm someone who struggles with self-confidence in a big way, but I love going out there and performing because it's not about me and the way I feel, it's about making people feel the way that I want them to feel.
0: And then you feel good as well,
1: yeah, that's a nice byproduct, and
0: they say you enjoy what you're good at
1: exactly it so here's hoping that i'm good here's hoping that some people think I'm good
0: at what I do <laughs> um, one of the things what has been your what has, what has been two moments I want to ask you about what have been some really strange stories that have made you go, what the fuck?" And what have been sort of like stories that have been like, oh, my God, amazing and inspiring.
1: In comedy or just in life?
0: (laughs) In let's talk about as it's geared towards your passion. Yeah, your passion. Uh,
1: All right. Fair. Um, I would probably, that's a good, that's a good, to think about that. Stories that have made me go. I'll I'll come back to that one. I I guess things that I go, Oh my God, that's amazing would be the first time that I realized, Oh my God, like this person is a genius and you can, and, and, you know, comedy can be whatever you make it and um, et cetera. Was there was a, there's a comedian named Pat Thornton. Uh, He's a local Toronto comic. He's been in a few uh, movies and things in Canada as well. And he used to do a 24-hour comedy stand-up show for the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which is a fantastic charity. Um, And it would be him. He would be on stage at Comedy Bar, and it would be a 24-hour show. People could buy a ticket. They could go in and out whenever they wanted. Uh, People looked forward to this every single year because, you know, you could go in at 11 p.m. You leave at 4 a.m. People are getting punch drunk. People are, you know, getting the giggles because they don't have a lot of sleep. And just, he had a bowl on stage where people would write suggestions for jokes and he'd pick them up and then he'd start riffing. And I remember looking at that going like, this is the first time I went, it blew me away. I went, this is so loose. This is just like, I don't don't even know what this is, but it's hilarious and it's funny and it's community building. And it just cemented this guy as brilliant that like he went out there with not that much material the fearlessness of saying, I'm going to do 24 hours of comedy and maybe you have two hours in your, in your back pocket and you just hope that the rest will work, while you are also just not giving yourself any sleep. Like, he took, a 50, he took 15 minute breaks every four hours. That was it. But he very much went from 4pm to 4pm. And to me, that was an, oh my god, that's amazing.
0: What? So th- how did he set up, how did it work and how did it carry on for that long? <laughs>
1: so it was just him on stage again had a bowl where people would put suggestions he would he would you know read them he'd write them he'd riff on them people would get involved in it as well and uh, you know there, there'd be bits that would begin from there and yeah then just 15 minute break every four hours that was it but he'd just do this once a year 24 hours
0: whoa that must help him a lot
1: <laughs> so that was, that was that that's probably and also what the fuck as well but uh, yeah very very good um One that kind of went, oh my god, like a like a crazy story. That's a good question.
0: In life, then let's do that. In life. Uh,
1: Put me on the spot here. I think that actually, uh, well, what the fuck story was again? Just a not. This was, so I I do a show or I used to do a show every year in Canada called Laughstache. It was for Movember, which is why I've got, this is not my my look by choice. For everyone listening to this, because I know this is an audio only format, I have a very dirty and disgusting mustache happening right now because as of this recording, it's the last day of November. So every year I participate in this charity, absolutely amazing, great cause, very dear to my heart. Um, And I would organize a comedy fundraiser in Toronto for Movember. All the proceeds went to that. And so I got a comedian who will remain nameless for reasons that will become clear soon, but very, very funny, uh, very gifted talent. And he went out, killed it, stayed behind. Um, And, you know, as we're cleaning up, I said to him, Hey, blank um thanks so much for your help all this other stuff and he said yeah great man anyways i'll be right back um i have to go sell a bunch of mdma and then i just went Wait, what and he's like oh yeah no my side business i'm an mdma dealer and i thought he was doing a bit like i thought it was just going to be like a, a thing where it's like oh all right cool and, we, and we, is it like are we riffing now uh and then he you know he left came back after about 20 minutes he's like all right that's the bag gun gone hey do you want to do some mdma and and i i did not uh but it was just such a he said it so matter of factly and so just naturally and again it's one of those yeah just you know don't judge people or like you you know your misconceptions this guy was very very talented he's uh you know got it all together but he just happened to be a a drug dealer slash drug taker and and did it very matter of factly
0: (laughs) well that was that's funny i like that (laughs) that's quite something and how how has that led so with all everything that's happened including that fantastic story um what what is a quote that sums up your life and that you would like to live the rest of your life by I
1: quote that live the rest of my life by it's like Good one. Um, I probably, you know what? I I I'd, I'd say, and this is very something that's always stuck with me in a big way. And it's not a quote by a famous person, and it's not um, a quote. I only heard it a few years ago, but it was someone that I work with who is he was my manager and I, I looked up to him a lot and you know, he's a couple of years younger than me, but has three kids, full-time job, nicest guy you'll ever meet. And I remember he was saying we, we were having breakfast before work and he just looked a bit tired. And I said to him, Oh, like, are you okay? And he said, well, you know, the kids kept me up. I only, I'm only about three hours of sleep. And I said, Oh man, like, I'm, I'm surprised that you're so pleasant. Or like, you're not, you're not bitching about it. And he said, you know, what's the point in complaining? I'm still gonna be tired and I'm just gonna make everyone else miserable around me. And that just resonated with me a lot because I think that a lot of people, myself included, have a tendency to complain to hear their own voices or to feel justified or to wanna feel like the victim. And there are so many people who are actually victims in this world and, a lot of us are very fortunate to not be a victim. And I think that sometimes we just have to, what I'd like to live the rest of my life by is looking at myself through a lens where I am saying, you know, why am I, why am I complaining about the little things? Why am I complaining if just not to hear that? I think that I want to be a positive person and I want to make sure that i am living my best life and i am not bringing down those around me
0: Ah, yeah, that's 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 a question that's in that's in that is a thing isn't it when you watch a lot of um especially movies in in have you seen boys in the hood
1: i have yes
0: it's a great movie isn't it
1: john singleton one of the best
0: like that film like with the story of ferris and him shooting um ricky and all that and them doing all those bad things that's mm-hmm. that's you know feeling good but that's in the wrong way yes
1: yeah very true
0: but yeah i, I love that bit there that's a good quote um and yeah one more thing i want to say thank you very much for coming on Thanks what, for having what, me. what would you like to plug
1: Oh, so many things. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at csmall201. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. Like I said, it's mostly just uh, most, mostly just photos about uh, about working out, brewing my own beer, the UFC. We were joking before the air. It's, I'm pretty much just like a Joe Rogan wannabe these days, uh, but not nearly as successful. Um, yep. I also have t- I also have two podcasts on the go right now that I co-host with two very funny people. Uh, one of them is Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it is myself and my friend Ephraim Ellis, who is a Toronto actor. And we break down every single uh, album of the Bare Naked ladies chronologically. So we just released episode one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and episode two will be dropping shortly. The other podcast is called Tall Guys Lift Weights. That is me and my friend Blair, who are both six foot five inches, talking about fitness, even though we don't know what the hell we are talking about. So give that one a listen too. Uh, but yeah, most of the time, you see me on the street in Melbourne, say hi. I want to promote myself. <laughs> so uh you know uh i'm i'm not hard to find i don't sound like anyone else and i'm very tall so yeah that's that that's about it
0: well, that's been chris small everyone ladies and gentlemen back home um i hope you've enjoyed it again please follow chris's work uh you'll see it in the description when i upload this episode um also please share the podcast on amazon or itunes with your friends and give us a review if you liked it
1: five-star rating yeah five-star guys
0: <laughs> we need stellar service guys now um all i want to say is take care chris best of luck with everything and everyone who's listening to this hope you have a fantastic day
1: thanks for having me marvin stay safe everyone Take care. <laughs>